0: Welcome back to another episode of Arte Labore, a Blackburn Rovers podcast from the Lancashire Telegraph. What a night for Blackburn Rovers. Heartbreak in the penalty shootout, losing in the FA Cup to Newcastle United after an enthralling one all draw. Dom Hyam, the unlucky man, to miss from the penalty spot. Miss is probably harsh. It's better to say. His penalty was well saved by Martin Dubravka. That's a a fairer representation of what happened. Of course, I'm joined by Ryan Hildred to go through last night's events and more. Hello, Ryan. How are you?
1: I am emotionally and physically exhausted, as I'm sure everyone else is. It feels Um, like we've
0: both been on the lash.
1: (laughs) Yeah, just without the the actual alcohol consumption uh, for the fun part. But no, what a performance last night, which we'll go into today, um just so proud and yeah, just very emotionally <laughs> exhausted with all of that. It was a long evening, um full of rough and tumbles, thrills and spills, and just everything you would want from an f a cup tie, so to speak, and everything we needed after the last few weeks, so yeah, I'm feeling good, but definitely delicate today
0: yeah it was a, it was an absolutely enthralling spectacle, first and foremost, a brilliant cup tie, a reminder of why. Knockout football is so intoxicating, why we all love the World Cup and why when teams have hope and, and treat the domestic cups with a bit of respect, you can get real lasting memories. I think over the last, well, 18 months, Blackburn Rovers, my, my best memories covering them have been in the cup competitions, West Ham, Leicester, Sheffield United and Newcastle. And even two of those, they obviously didn't get the result that they wanted, but the, the, the day out, the the event, Lives long in the memory. Um, you know when you're thinking of highlights of the last eighteen months, they're they're the top ones for me. Sheffield United at home, probably the best in the league as well. The comeback at Millwall, but the cup has been fantastic for Blackburn Rovers. Yondal Thompson has really restored some pride in that in those competitions when he was here. Because under Tony Mowbray, obviously we know the record was very poor. Basically, gave up on the cups for five years, and I think it's just proven that you can make changes and you can still prioritise the championship but you can still show the cup that has value, use it as a distraction, use it as an opportunity to blood those young players as we saw under Thompson. And I really, really hope John Eustace has a similar outlook moving forward. And and nights like last night are the reward you get for taking it seriously at home to Cambridge when Rovers made just two changes, taking it seriously at home to Wrexham uh, where they came from behind to win and again played their strongest team. And they were fantastic last night. It was a brilliant, brilliant performance. The game plan was spot on. They soaked up pressure, particularly in that first half, and and really hit Newcastle on the counter-attack. And from the, f- the first minute, I think there was some... I had a little bit of trepidation that they would sit too deep and they wouldn't be able to get out and they wouldn't offer a threat the opposite way. And it would be just two backs to the walls. And once the first one went in, the second and third might follow and, and, and just sort of go out with a whimper. None of it. Absolutely none of it. From the first whistle... They they played in a low block, of course they did. They sat men behind the ball, but they, they pressed at the right time. They sprung at the right time. And they countered and they backed each other up as well. They were fearless. And they were so much better on the ball, I thought. I thought there were some really good moments in that first half. It it was all around John Buckley for me. He was the, the catalyst that made Rovers play. Scott Wharton as well, actually. He he In particular, him and Buckley were the ones trying to play out from the back, I thought, and were the ones starting attacks. And obviously, they they had some chances and and they came from Rovers using the ball far better than we have seen um, in recent weeks.
1: Yeah, it was. Um, I thought it was a really intelligent performance. You know, if I just give full disclosure here, I was expecting a routine Newcastle win before the game. Um, Just with how the last few weeks have gone, which we're going to chat about, um, I thought Newcastle would rock up, particularly going into the Darwin end, you know, win 2-3-0 and Rovers obviously go out of the cup. So I thought it was a really intelligent game plan and performance from Rovers, the way Eustace had us set up. He knew the danger that they had with the likes of Anthony Gordon in his pace, Guimaraes obviously in the middle and how intelligent he is as a footballer. And then the likes of Kieran Trippier obviously that can make things happen from right back. So I thought the approach and the setup and making us hard to beat and doing that low block as a basic principle was a really intelligent game plan from Eustace. But obviously you need the 11 players out on the pitch to go out and perform. And I think this game is broken up into sections. And if I treat this section as up until the triple sub that Rovers made, I thought we were absolutely full value for some kind of lead in that game with the way that we were playing. It was the perfect execution by the players. Backing them up was the right word that you said there, Elliot. And when we needed those moments of quality, where we needed that overturn of possession, where we needed to use the ball smartly, as you say, John Buckley threading those balls through to Sammy Smodic, whose movement... Uh, and all of that stuff that he does off the shoulder of the last man was all on point. And it was just a shame we didn't have a goal to show for it for that first half showing. It was absolutely fantastic. And this is a side that's played in the Champions League this season. This is a side that came fourth last season. This is a side that have got internationals across that and, whole squad. And,
0: and it was that side as well. The, this was not Newcastle's yeah. reserves. This was as close to a full strength as they could have gone with their
1: injuries at the mm. end it was so i just thought it was really smart from from eustace he recognized what our strengths were he recognized what our weaknesses were he recognized the things that he's trying to put in play uh, with that change from that jdt mindset and i just thought it was executed to perfection in that first hour in particular and it was just the goal that we didn't have to show obviously the two chances for smodics are the two good save from Debravka on one of them and then the other I thought it was actually the way Smodic needed to finish the chance, you know, high into that left corner, desperately unlucky that he didn't put that away. And, you know, if we were going in at 1-0 at half-time, who knows what might have happened at that point. But, you know, what a performance in that first half, particularly after the few weeks that we've all had as Rovers fans. I
0: think when the team sheet came out, my immediate fear was looking at the central of midfield. Um, Two very young, technical, um, good ball players. But there wasn't... Many tackles between John Buckley and Andrew Moran you, it was, was the pre, pre-game pre perception. They were brilliant. They ratted. They won the ball back. We saw different qualities. Buckley put in some great tackles. There was a sliding tackle in the first half that coming from behind. Absolutely brilliant. Moran really put himself about in those deeper areas as well. I think that maybe that's where he's best. He needs to be in the middle of the pitch. Whether in the championship that could be alongside John Buckley or whether that's a little bit too lightweight, I think we'll see. But they really put themselves about in a technical game. Um, they used their qualities on the ball. They ratted the press at the right times. So they were just intelligent. And that was a big area of the pitch because Newcastle had obviously a man advantage. They played three in the middle with um, with Willock, Longstaff and, and gimarash They had an extra man in there. Rovers obviously had three, five at the back and two in the field and then three up front. Um, although they, they dropped in quite quickly. And yeah, you're just hoping they get you know, one or two big chances, and they, they had three of them in the first half. Smodix with two, and um, the first of which just going away from a little bit, snatches at it a little bit, sticks it into the side netting just off the corner of the post. Um, Tyrese Dolan with the best opportunity again. That came from Rovers winning the ball back really well, um, played into him. It's a great strike. It's going right in the corner. I was right behind it in the uh, in the Jack Walker standing that where the press box is. It's going right in the corner. Great save from Debravka. and then the one just before halftime for Smodix, um, where. You, he faces Fabian up really well, gets halfway on you, just wanting to get over it, get it low, get it hard into a corner as he's finished so many times on his left foot, just just a little bit too much power, maybe a bit too much height on it, and it's tipped over the bar. But yeah, Rovers were full, full value in that first half points, and they did have the chances as well.
1: Yeah, they did, and um, that final chance that you've mentioned there, the Smodic one, I think. Um, That was probably the epitome of what Rovers were doing in that first half. When you talk about the backing up that we did... We played in like groups of five basically i noticed so we had the back five and then we had a front five and that front five they were a real unit pressing together and um, wasn't really too wide you know they were quite narrow as well but i thought it was really effective in squeezing that middle part of the pitch and then when they were able to overturn that possession obviously that's when the the chance obviously occurred for Smodic. and i thought it was a good save from dubravka that one and yeah you, you're right to raise the Dolan one it's a good job Smodic didn't touch it because he was offside um, so we got the corner out of it but yeah going right into the corner great save from Debravka. so you know really you've got to say in that first half what chance did Newcastle have in that first
0: 33rd minute Newcastle had the first shot on target which was the the long staff one where it was just slipped in down the right and pairs saved it but from an angle you'd expect him to save it and turn it for a corner mm. so 33 yeah. minutes without restricting the opposition having a shot on target
1: yeah, this is restricting a Premier League side at Ewood Park. So you've got to say it was a smashing first-half performance. Brilliant. Um, and as I say, we just didn't have the goal to show for it.
0: I, I, I met, we, we were messaging a couple of times during the game and we both noted that the subs around the hour mark, both teams made a triple change. Rovers took off Buckley, um, who I thought was man of the match up until that point. And my fear was with John Buckley going off. And I appreciate why John Eustace has done it in terms of He's played not a lot of football and then played 150 minutes in four days. So you've got to protect him, they've got to use the squad. Um, my fear was he was their way out. He was the way out of the press. He was doing what Adam Wharton did for Blackburn Rovers. He was the one taking the ball under pressure and, and getting them through the lines and connecting the attack from the defence. And when he went off, I felt that they lost that for 10 minutes and will come on to praise for the subs because that, that changed later in the game. Um, but he took Buckley off. He took Moore and off, who had been so good in those areas. And it just took Ayari and Garrett a bit of time, as it sh- you know, as it should, because they're playing Premier League opposition. You're coming in on an hour. It's not easy to come into a game anyway. Never mind a game of that intensity and ferocity. Um, it just took them ten minutes to grow into the game. And I thought that was a, a, m- m- a momentum shift because Newcastle also brought on um, Harvey Barnes, who cost forty million quid in the summer. Uh, they brought on Lewis Miley, very highly rated central midfielder. And they brought on Miguel Alm- Almiron, who was their club record signing two years ago for 20-odd million quid. So they they injected, best part, £60-70 into the team. Rovers, I think it's fair to say, weakened it at the time um, in many people's eyes. And I thought that momentum shift was what gave Newcastle the impetus. Um, they obviously had a couple of warnings. Jamal LaSalle's header cleared off the line by Cal Fadzin brilliant, heroic defending. Gordon clean through where Rovers were just caught in advance of the ball a little bit. Um, He went through, Ainsley Pérez comes out, makes a really good save. He probably should have squared it, Gordon, actually, because he'd got a man who'd who'd absolutely burst past Scott Wharton on the right-hand side, Um, and he could have squared it for an easy tap-in. And then the goal comes, and it's a little bit disappointing when you've got a packed penalty area and Gordon, it's a good bit of movement, gets half a yard and finds uh, Miguel Almiron's pass and just turns it into the corner. And, And from that point... You are a little bit concerned about how Rovers are going to get back into the game.
1: Yeah, and this is the second chunk of the game that we're talking about. If we're breaking it up into those chunks. So it it actually all started with the Sam Gallagher substitution at halftime, didn't it? So Mm -hmm. um, when you're reflecting on such a good first half performance that we are, you know, Sam Gallagher absolutely played his part in all of that. So. To make a sub at half time, which effectively takes out your central physical presence, you know, it's a completely different way that Rovers are having to How play. How many
0: times did the ball him. go up and you've got Smoddick and Dolan trying to compete with Dan Byrne, all the
1: Exactly, exactly. So, law of averages says that the ball is going to start coming back more. Um, the three subs, then, as well, you know, for either side. I'm like you, I absolutely get why Eustace has made those subs. He has to have one eye on Swansea away and the upcoming fixtures. He has to have an eye on the effort that's being put in. So I totally get why all three subs were made on another day. And and without those other variables we're talking about, absolutely keep John Buckley on the pitch because he's man of the match. So I get the subs. But with that combination of the three that we're making and the three they're making, it just felt like the inevitable was going to happen. And I always have fears anyway as a Rovers fan, when that Darwin end is packed, when it's nil-nil, when you've had such a good first-half performance and haven't got the rewards to show for it. There is that feeling of inevitability about it, particularly as our squad, as it starts to tire, as the team start, you know, young legs on the pitch, some lads not playing minutes for a while, all of these things that are combining together, there was the, the air of the inevitable that, that something was going to happen. And disappointing goal because it's quite loose down that left-hand side from us, isn't it? You know, Almoron's got far too much space to kind of think about what he's going to do and it's it's great movement from Gordon. You know, he's a, he's absolutely just found that little space, a bit like what we've reflected on um, with Arna Sigurdsson this season. Mm-hmm. You know, that ability to just make that like, little movement in the box and that's all he needs and, yeah, it goes in and at that point, I think all Rovers fans will probably admit that they're feeling that's the inevitable goal. Is it going to be 1-2 or 3 for Newcastle? The kind of beginning of the end, so to speak. So it was really disappointing to concede the first goal in that manner after what was just a brilliant, brilliant performance up until that point. But yeah, a real momentum shift and a feeling of, oh, have we just lost that chance? And then suddenly
0: the subs grew into the game. I thought Ayari mm. in particular very good. I thought Dylan Marcondé looked really bright and it just took them 10 minutes and that's all it takes against a Premier on guy. And then I thought they were absolutely outstanding. I thought it was the the most noticeable impact from a Blackburn Rovers bench that I've seen in a long time because Marcondé really took his opportunity. So did Ayari. Um, Garrett was very good as well. He, again, they just took 10 minutes to to warm up to the pace of it which was obviously higher than their usual bar anyway. Um, and then once they did, Rovers were were started to, to play, started to threaten again, started to have little passing combinations on the edge of Newcastle's box and just test them a little bit. Um, and then, obviously, the, the magic moment. Ten minutes till time. Sigurdsson gets down the left, pulls it back. What an effort by Dylan Marconde. Tipped onto the bar by Dubravka. And there's Sam Smodics following up for one all. Really good finish. Um, kept calm. The man you'd want the ball to fall to. And I think Rovers deserved it. Like I think they were the better team in the first half. I think Newcastle probably had 20 minutes where they were really turning the screw and looked like the better team. And then Rovers, for, for a team of that inexperience, because the team was made a lot younger by the changes that were made as well, to show that character to come back in the manner that they did to get the equaliser, That 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 was pretty special, to be honest.
1: It was completely special because let's just call it out for what it is. You know, in terms of goal contributions and, and form, you've literally only got Sam Smoddicks on that pitch that's hurt in Newcastle at that point in time. You know, I will be honest again with everyone here. You know, I've been critical of Dylan Markande this season and wanting more from him. So when he did come on, I'm thinking... Well, what impact is he going to make? So absolutely love the fact that he's proved me wrong because you're right, when he grew into the task, I saw him taking people on, I saw him working hard, I saw him making an impact on the game. So, yeah, the goal came out of nowhere, yet yeah, Lascelles has made a bit of a mistake, but there's still a lot for Rovers to do to score there. I thought it was very good composure from Sigurdsson because at that point in the game, you know, 10 minutes to go, we're 1-0 down. We've not fashioned too much in that second half. You've got to make it count. The weight of the pass had to be right as well, didn't it, for Makhondi to hit it first it time? Cause there wasn't a lot of space. It, no, there wasn't a lot of space. And it was probably one of the only times we got in behind in that second half. So it's got to be perfect. And it is perfect. And I just feel desperately here for Dylan Markande, because as I say, he's had his critics, including from the likes of myself. What a save from Debravka! What a save that is. Markande deserved to have his name in likes at that point and get the equaliser with the quality of that strike. But Sam Smodics does what Sam Smoddix does, and that is he is absolutely red hot in and around the box at the moment. He's anticipated it. And what I will say, the size of the cojones of that man to stick the ball in the back of the net at that point, there is still a little bit to do there. The ball's bouncing. You've got a full Blackburn end, you know, begging for that equaliser to go in. There's still a lot to do. And he kept his composure And what a moment when it went in, just absolute pandemonium, just chaos. And where has this come from? And just what a feeling, just brilliant. I think
0: it's the best noise I've heard inside Ewood Park. The only one would be Pickering's goal against Sheffield United that would potentially rival it. It was the biggest attendance of the season with 22,700, I think it was off the top of my head, inside Ewood Park. Of course, probably seven and a half of that. Seven at minimum was from the Newcastle end in the Darwin end, but... Nonetheless, 15,000 into Ewood Park home fans. And it made a real noticeable difference. You know, there was a lot of moments where the crowd really influenced the game. John Eustace talked about it after the match. So did Ainsley Pears in his interview with Rovers TV. And it was a really, really big moment. And Rovers saw out the rest of the 10 minutes with relative comfort as well. They deserved extra time. Full extra time was a bit of a slog, in truth. I didn't think either team were brilliant. And Newcastle probably should have won it in extra time, if we're being honest, because they had some big, big chances. An amazing double save from Ainsley Pairs. First to deny um, Anthony Gordon and then Sean Longstaff. Brilliant double save. I will say they've got to score. Like, it's it's terrible finishing. But Pairs does everything right. Everything that you want your goalkeeper to do in those moments. Really, really huge moment. Um, and then obviously in the second half of extra time, the same with uh, Scott Walton, where the ball just goes over his head. He just gets deceived a little bit and he's in. And you think, ah, here we go. Pull back to Gimaraes. Brilliant block with his chest on the line. And then you get that little bit of fortune where Barnes just completely scuffs the finish on the rebound. Uh, but then Rovers went up the other end and, and Smoddix was in. Uh, lovely pass again by Marconde. And Debravka saves him. So I think Dubravka probably saved... Newcastle in the 90 minutes and certainly Ainsley Pairs and, and Scott Wharton did so for Rovers to get them to penalties.
1: Yeah, you know, we absolutely have to celebrate Ainsley Pairs at this point because, again, he's another one that's taken his critics, you know, with, with the journey that he's had as Rovers' goalkeeper and we were all delighted to see him back in the side and, and you've got to say that he's not put a foot wrong since he's been back. He's just been absolutely sensational and it's not the first good saves that he's made since coming back either but i don't really think he's put
0: a foot wrong if i'm being honest um he hasn't there was obviously that one very small moment at birmingham away where he passed it to tyler roberts um some i think slightly harsh criticism for the second goal at deepdale um which i personally think is a bit silly um but apart from that he's been faultless in my opinion i think he's been absolutely fantastic
1: he has been faultless. And, you know, let's go back to the Gordon chance in the second half. That's a great save. You know, he stood up big and, and made it difficult for Gordon. As much as Gordon's hit it straight at him, you know, he's made that a difficult chance for Gordon to put away. But this double save, firstly, what are, I think it's Cresceni and Cometio, is it? What the hell are they doing? Yeah, there? it was Chris- <laughs> It was a very tired
0: leg, wasn't
1: it? <laughs> just tired legs. Um, so, yeah, unfortunate how, the- and it would have been gutting to concede a goal like that as well after just putting so much effort in. So, you know, to get an FA Cup shock, to get a result of this manner, you need a few components to happen. And one of them is you need your goalkeeper to have a worldy game. Yeah. And for me, they were two worldy saves with 90 minutes in the tank or more than that, with the emotion in the game, with playing Premier League opposition. In the context of that game, they are worldly saves, they are brilliant saves, and that's what goalkeepers train to do. You know, When you see them warming up on the training pitch, when you see them warming up at Ewood Park before a game, they're practising this all the time, making a save, getting up quick and making the the next save. They'll be absolutely delighted with that because that's like the bread and butter stuff they're practising every day. So to keep us in the game like that, that's the first point where I'm thinking, we're going to do this, aren't we? And then the second element is the Scott Wharton goal line clearance, which I tell you what, he deserves a lot of credit for A, getting back on the line in the way that he did, but B, not handballing that, because you see that so many times in football that someone makes a motion of that and they've just stuck their arm out. That's then handball. Yeah, Yeah, instinctive. So that's then handball, red card. We're playing the rest of extra time with 10 men and then who knows, Newcastle might win it. So brilliant from Scott Wharton just to instinctively defend that. And then the Smodic chance, you know, so that's the the other component when you've got a shot. You've got to take your chances, haven't you? And in a clutch period of the game, going into the Blackburn end after riding our luck and some worldly saves like that, you would have had Sam Smodic. You would have said, we want him on it. And it's just, it's one of them where I think he's got so much tiredness in the legs, you know, on another can, day. Can, a bit I fresh
0: limped off holding his groin after that.
1: Exactly. So it's you know we were as expecting the net to bulge at that point, and I was just absolutely nearly like in space when the ball went through because <laughs> I thought he was put, I thought he was putting that chance away. But you got to say it's a good save from Debravka. So as much as Pairs has made it difficult for Gordon in that in that second half, as I said. Debravka's done the stuff that goalkeepers are trained to do. Stay up big, close the legs, and you know, he's made that a really good save, Debravka. So that would have just been an out of this world moment if Smodix puts that away. Because if he does, we win the tie. So um, yeah, it was a sluggish extra time period. It was one where Rovers really had to dig in because there, you know, it did look like Newcastle were going to get that goal, but of course we had that one chance ourselves. So the least we deserved was penalties, absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. I think the difference with Pairs, he seems more
0: confident. I think he's been far more proactive off his line. The amount of times he's sweeped uh, and cut out danger. He did it a lot in the Norwich game as well and he's pulling off really good saves. It feels like he's come back a more confident goalkeeper, a more proactive goalkeeper um, and he's been absolutely fantastic. I think Scott. I think there is a, quite a compelling argument that Scott Wharton's been Blackburn Rovers' best centre-back this season. When you think about it, Dom Hyman's been out for a while. Mm. He's been a little bit patchy at times since he's come back. Hayden Carter, I think, has not been as consistent this season as he was last. Um, I think Scott Wharton's not really put a foot wrong since he came back into the team in sort of what was it, uh, Millwall away, so like October time, I don't really think he's put a foot wrong, to be honest. Um, and I think this style mm. of the left side of the back three, where they're a little bit more back to front, probably suits him as well. But he can play football, and we saw that last night for him. As I say, him and Buckley were definitely the catalyst, the ones that mm. were encouraging the team to play short and to play through the lines. And ultimately, it comes down to a lottery, which penalties are. I thought Smoddick's penalty was quite poor. So was Harvey Barnes. It was. They were good saves. It was a very tired penalty from Smodics. um but you just can't fault anyone, can you? How can you? you, you, you it takes it takes cojones to go up and take a penalty, especially in front of a packed out away end in the way it was. And someone has to miss. Someone has to be the hero, and that was the and unfortunately Dom Haim. um It's a decent penalty. It's probably the better of the three that were saved, um, but he just. I think. I think it comes nat- when when you strike in a ball. You probably put less disguise on it as a defender, and I think that probably comes into it a little bit, and it maybe it was just a bit telegraphed of which side he was going, um, rather than I suppose attackers are a little bit more um, trying to deceive the goalkeeper in general play. But yeah, it, it does. It, it, as staff said, it just doesn't matter. Like it was a performance to be proud of. I asked John Eustace on Monday when we did press. I said, you know, as much as you want the result, it feels like Tuesday is about a performance, and it's about giving the fans a moment to cling on to. You know, everyone can be rational and everyone can say that John Eustace has had four games prior to, obviously, last night. You can say that they've had no time on the training ground and that these things take time. You have to develop an identity. But there's always going to be a few doubters when the wins don't naturally follow and when, you know, Yondell Thompson was quite liked by some quarters. And there has been a shift in style um, to be more effective, but it has been more substance over style for large portions. And you you mm-hmm. just felt like they needed a moment, they needed a performance where John Eustace can point to that and go, that, that is why you back us for these last 12 games of the Championship. That is why you give us the benefit of the doubt. That is why you show patience. That is why you buy your tickets because they're slowly ticking off different checkpoints. And it's easy to... You know, action speak louder than words is the, the famous adage, isn't it? That, and, and it felt like Black, that last night was Blackburn Rovers showing the supporters what they can be under John Eustace and what the blueprint is for this team going forward. Because it, it, at times it was the perfect blend between the lovely football we saw under Yondal Thomason at its best and also that defensive assuredness, that, that uh, commitment, that defensive solidity that wasn't there, that John Eustace has clearly brought in early doors in his reign.
1: Yeah, in many respects, it was it was the perfect night um, result aside and, and penalty shootout aside. So uh, I'll just go on to the penalties before coming back onto that, though. Iari's penalty. I mean, wow. <laughs> Let's just put this penalty shootout into context. You know, you're in front of the Newcastle fans. Smoddix has just missed, you know, the, the man. And actually, Callum Britton's penalty, which was the one after Smoddix, he was number two, wasn't he, Callum Britton? Mm-hmm. I thought that took a lot of bottle. When you've seen Smoddix miss and then Newcastle have, uh, have scored. Yeah. That takes a lot of bottle for Britain to bring the scores back level. So I thought that was a great penalty. But Iari, I absolutely was crapping myself when he walked up to that. <laughs> I did not expect what... The way he dispatched that penalty, I just did do not expect that. Ask. <laughs> what a pleasant surprise. So Ayari, just brilliant. What a penalty, man. And then Siggy, obviously, ice cold, as, as the Icelandic says. And do you know what? If I can just say something that might come across slightly weird here... If we are going to lose a shoot out, actually, the fact that Smodics and Higham missed the penalties, I think, is good for the squad. Had Ayari missed, I had a younger lad missed. I think they take that really bad. But actually. Yeah, I, I, no, I agree with you there. I think that's a really good point. Two model pros there. If someone's going to miss the penalty and if someone's going to miss the decisive penalty, you know, in a way, it's kind of positive that it's Higham. You know, the lads can get behind him and, you know, someone has to miss, as you say. So if it, if it is going to be someone, let it be Higham. But. Going back to your point, you know, I don't mind admitting to everyone that I've been really down in the dumps about Rovers these last few weeks. Um, I really like JDT. I really liked all the stuff that we had off the pitch. And I said on the last podcast that we've let a bit of a grenade off in our own face. And John Eustace has got one of the most difficult jobs now to come and pick up the pieces of us letting off that grenade in our own face. And I think if we're all being honest, The performances haven't been especially astounding. They've not been great. And Eustace is clearly making us difficult to beat. He's clearly trying to not lose first and maybe winning comes as an added second. And it has been a tough watch. Birmingham away was a tough watch. Cardiff away was a tough watch. Preston and Norwich have been better, but they haven't been fantastic. So it has been tough. It's been a tough gruel and it's made me really worried as a Rovers fan about what's happening next because that gap to the relegation zone has closed. So you're right. Last night, as I said, in many respects, was the perfect result to reconnect the Rovers fans, fans like me that might have been feeling like this, Mm. to reconnect people like me to this team. Because what you saw last night was a set of players that are playing for this manager a set of players that care a set of players that eventually that quality is going to show and they're going to play in the spirit that John Eustace wants us to play so i you know i am really proud of what the players did last night against a really good side and it's just whetted my appetite to see the lads over the line for the rest of the season and you know if we come 21st one point above the relegation zone so be it but you know, the lads have given us something now to to look forward to and, and hopefully Eustis can slowly but surely imprint his methods on this squad. So, yeah, just thank you to the players yesterday for, you know, really just putting in a performance we can all be proud of because that's not what I was expecting. As I say, I was expecting a routine Newcastle win with how the last few weeks have gone. So, to prove me wrong in that way and for every single one of them, and I mean every single one of them, as you say, the subs that came on as well, lads like Cometio making his debut, for every single one of them to put in the performance like that and bleed blue and white in the way that they did. It's just one that all Rovers fans should be proud of. So, yeah, just brilliant. And what an added bonus of of a game just to to see us over the line for the championship now. Yeah, you've
0: summed up um, a piece I wrote at lunchtime actually pretty well there where it feels like last night has turned any remaining doubters into believers. And I don't mean that as a a slight on anyone that has had scepticism because... It's not been an ideal month. you know. I think we're all ready to see the back of February um, for everyone connected with Blackburn Rovers. So I think this just buys Eustace time. And I don't mean time as in like pressure on his job or anything, but it just buys them a bit of patience, a bit of time to implement his methods. And look, we can all talk a good game, but if you've got a tangible example of what you're working towards and what you're trying to achieve, it just makes it a lot easier to get people on board and get people... Um, to back you, basically. Um, and I felt like last night was really important to start building that relationship between Eustace and the fans again. The trust in this pl- a group of players which has been dented over the last couple of months, undoubtedly. And I think, coming away, so many players had their best game for Blackburn Rovers. Ben Cresceni, really, that was his best performance by a mile in a Blackburn shirt. Best we've seen of Ayari. Best we've seen of Mark Conde for a long time. Best we've seen of John Buckley for a long time. Best we've seen for... Andrew Moran for a number of months. I thought they were outstanding, every single one of them. And it's gut- gutting that they didn't go through, but it also at the same time, it doesn't really matter because this is about staying up in the championship. It's about 12 big games and it's about what they can use this as a springboard um, to try and achieve with with three massive games coming up. I think there's a good point to part the game-specific stuff on Newcastle. And uh, I think after sort of five games in the helm, it's a good time to sit back and just reflect a little bit on the John Eustace era so far. And I think you're right that it has at times been a tough watch and it has been substance over style a little bit. I do think that perhaps the players have taken some of the instructions a little bit too literally in the sense where they've gone, okay, we're not going to play out from the back every time. We're going to be a bit more direct at times. We're going to try and be more defensively solid. And they were so far on one end of the scale under JDT that they've almost gone too far on the opposite end against um, Birmingham in particular, against Cardiff. They were just... They were shocking games. They were really bad spectacles, particularly the Cardiff one, where it was just two bad teams, uh, two out-of-form teams. And... It has surprised me a little bit, I have to say, how quickly a team that was built on possession has seen, had seemingly forgotten how to play football. There were so many times where there was an opportunity to play just better, look after the ball a little bit. And I do think they've missed Adam Wharton, definitely. But I think we have definitely seen signs in the second half against Norwich, where I thought they started to pass the ball and they played some really good stuff in that second half, and against Newcastle, that... They can find the right balance, and and I think time on the training ground, players learning to understand what Eustace and the coaching team want from, uh, from the squad a little bit more. Finding the balance of attack v defense, and you know Eustace has been really nonplussed. You know he's been really clear. The priority is points. The priority is to stay in the championship. You know if he gets to fifty points and they complete twelve more passes between now and the end of the season, but they stay up, I don't think he cares. I think that, well, he obviously will care, but it's not the priority. The priority is stay in the division. And then next season, get a pre-season, get a summer. You know, he has come in, in fairness, and they've had, by the time next week is over, in the next 10 days, they have played eight games in four weeks. You know, they've had a midweek game every single week since John Eustace came in. So they're training once, twice, where it's not a bit of a recovery day um, a week, which is just no time to implement anything. And yet, slowly but surely, we are seeing little checkpoints, you know, First clean sheet at Cardiff in God knows how long. Um, Coming from behind at home for the first time on Saturday to take a point against Norwich. Doing the same, obviously, against Newcastle. Subs coming on and making an impact. Calumet Fadzine's been brilliant since he's come into the team. Scott Wharton's playing really well. Ainsley Pears is playing really well. Now they've got John Buckley in the team. Someone who I think just, if he's fit, I would start him in the next 12 championship games and just let him play. Let him get back to somewhere near where he was 18 months ago, where, you know, going into Yondar Thompson's first season, I thought he would probably end up being Player of the Year because of the style of play. And it just hasn't worked out for him for a multitude of reasons. I think there's been times where Buckley just hasn't done enough, hasn't imprinted himself on matches. He's just been a bit of a passenger. And I also think probably the man management of Yondar Thompson didn't help Buckley at times as well where maybe he just needed a bit more of an arm around the shoulder because there is a lot of talent there and it is up to John Eustace and John Buckley to coax that out and I think he's going to be so important for Rovers to keep them playing football at the right times because they haven't got Adam Wharton anymore and he is the closest thing they've got to replicating that at the minute.
1: He is Um, and just to you know, reflect on a few things you've said there. My annoyances with the team and, and how I've been feeling for the last three or four weeks, you know, none of this is labelled towards John Eustis. You know, I've been very vocal on the last part about my annoyances with the ownership and and with Wagger and and this, this situation that's been created. And, you know, that also led to the departure of Adam Wharton, whether we agree with it or not in terms of the timing, Adam Wharton's left a squad. So Eustis walking into that situation... And losing arguably the best player that is a difficult situation for him to walk into so i was fully expecting you know a different style of play um you know a a different approach to games and certainly not the the kind of effervescent stuff that jdt brought however what i will say is there's a happy medium to strike isn't there between the the change of style and defending first and not losing games first and some of what we've seen at you know Birmingham away and Cardiff away, where you're not even having shots or shots on target. There's a happy medium for Eustace to reach. And I hadn't appreciated or kind of absorbed that fact that you said there that Eustace hasn't had you know, a full week of training because of how the games have gone recently. So that is definitely a variable to bring into play here. Some long trips as well in there with Cardiff and, you know, Birmingham. Definitely, definitely. And I'm a visual person, you know, in in many aspects of my working life and personal life. I like to see things and visualise things. And that's what Newcastle, you said it earlier, that's what it's given me now. Okay, this is the way that Eustace is trying to get us to play. So actually I can get behind that and I can understand that now. So you're right to raise that. Just on John Buckley, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because you look at Buckley, you look at Wharton and the comments that you've made today around Wharton, and you look at the Lewis Travis situation, they're all part of the same crop from the academy. And, you know, you can say what you like about JDT's man management or whatever. Is there a little correlation there between how those three have been treated by JDT and now their resurgence We'll obviously see what happens with Lewis Travis, but I've got no doubt that Travis would be someone that would walk into this side as well. So Eustace is also clearly a different type of man manager. He's someone that I think will maintain the whole group, probably similar to how what Tony Mowbray used to do. Actually, you know, it's all about the whole group rather than maybe individuals within the group, which which maybe JDT did. So John Buckley is going to be a hugely important player because. We cannot take Adam Wharton out of this side and then all of a sudden expect ourselves to score goals without a player of his nature in there. John John Buckley is not Adam Wharton. He is a generational talent. But John Buckley can do a damn good job of replacing Adam Wharton and bring some different facets to his game as well. That ability to run with the ball a little bit, that ability to go forward with it, may be different to what Adam Wharton might do. So I'm in total agreement with you. Buckley and Tronstad. They are the two for me in that central midfield area that he's got to build that centre midfield around. I completely agree, Yep, yeah. And ultimately, this performance is
0: something that they can take into the last 12 games of the season. If they perform anywhere near that level, they will stay up by April. Agreed. We all know that because that was a brilliant performance. It shows what they're capable of. And as I say, they are slowly and surely ticking off checkpoints, clean sheet, coming from behind. And it does feel like Eustace is now building... A bit more of a identity, which is so like we we're talking about he's had five games in two and a half weeks. It just feels like longer because this month has been the longest year of my life. Um and it just feel like <laughs> it feels like Eustace is is really building something now. And I do think he'll get some patience from the supporters and from the fans. Um with with that performance last night. That said, with with Millwall at home, um and Plymouth at home next week, Swansea away at the weekend they're going to have to win a couple of the games, in my opinion. I think they need two wins out of these three games. Seven points would be lovely, but I think they need three wins because although there's a lot of traffic between them and the uh, bottom three because they're 16th, teams are picking up points at a good rate. Sheffield Wednesday are winning games regularly. Queen's Park Rangers are winning games regularly. Bloody Millwall and Huddersfield and Plymouth and Swansea all won at the weekend as well as Rovers getting a point at home to Norwich, which would have been felt like a great point and yet actually cut the gap. Bizarrely, it's so tight down there at the minute. So, with the running that they've got, which is really, really tough, and they do play for Sheffield Wednesday at Ewood Park in that run as well. But, you know, when they play Leicester, Coventry, Sunderland, um, Ipswich at Ewood, they've got Southampton at Ewood, it's a really tough running. And so, they are going to have to get some points on the board, in my opinion, in the next 10 days. And I think they need a minimum of two wins.
1: I'm in total agreement with you and uh, as the saying goes that I had to just Google just to remember how it goes, uh, after the Lord Mayor's show is what it's called, isn't it? So uh, we can't sit here and wax lyrical about how great it is versus Newcastle if then we go back to old ways away at Swansea because you're absolutely right, the next three games are really, really important. Um, Last weekend was really devastating in terms of the results. When I was watching that just pan out the way that it did and Um, and teams you know, coming back from behind or whatever and and getting the points on the board, it was really devastating and knocked a bit of stuffing out of me, actually, because you're right, it was a really good point against Norwich, um, against a good Norwich side as well, who were playing really well. So we now know what's firmly in front of us, which is we are in a relegation battle, so we have to now do the simple thing, which is get to the required points level, which keeps us safe in this division. The next three games... um, before those next ones that come in, you know, you've reflected on the four sides that are all going to be going for automatic promotion. They are up there for a reason. There's going to be a massive incentive on those games for those sides. Middlesbrough and Sunderland away. Um, Middlesbrough we've done okay at away from home. Um, Middlesbrough but not Sunderland, great, at the
0: That's probably a decent, that's pro- probably Rovers' most winnable game yeah. still after the three they've got. So they've, they have got four games. You probably should include Middlesbrough because they've not been great of late. They obviously got beat by yeah. for the weekend as well. Um, so that is, is more winnable than the ones they've got after the international break as well.
1: Definitely. And I guess the added jeopardy that comes with with the next three games is the fact it's the teams that in and around us. So it's like the double damage of, well, if we don't win the game and they do, you know, it's like the double damage, so to speak, in that sense. So, I am in agreement with you that two wins from these three games would represent an excellent return. Getting to that 45-point mark, you know, 50, you know, like how they say 40 points is the Premier League safety mark. 50 points is widely acknowledged as the championship safety mark. And sometimes it's often less than that. So 45 points might be enough. Who knows? But just to peg back the sides who are around us, keep them in the relegation battle with their run-ins. I think it's a hugely, hugely important trio of games coming up. And it's going to be tough to raise it again. You know, we have put in a massive effort in that game last night. Smodic, as you say, has gone off holding his groin. Sam Gallagher went off with an injury. Lots of lads have put in 120 minutes plus the emotional ecstasy of penalties. So it's going to be really tough to go away to Swansea and raise it. So, And then you've got a midweek game and then another game the following weekend. So it's a tough trio of games following the FA Cup. But we've got to hit the same levels. Well, maybe not the same levels because that was just phenomenal last night. But you know what I'm saying? It's got to be okay. If this is the way you're going to play John Eustace, this is now what we want to see for those remaining 12 games. So I really agree with you. And I think we've aired on the side of caution throughout this podcast this season, saying, is it must win? Is it important? I'm now going to label it these three or. Two of the three are must-win games for, Rose, six for Rose this season. We need six points, else we really are staring down the barrel. You know, we look at Stoke in the relegation zone now. You know, after those three games, without the points total that we've got, we could be looking at a situation where we're looking a bit like Stoke. So we just need to avoid that at all costs.
0: Yeah, there is ultimately two wins in 16 championship games, which is relegation form over nearly half a season. Certainly a third yeah. of a season. Third of a season. Um, so they're going to have to get some it's wins. not good enough. No, it hasn't been. But positivity from uh, Tuesday night, take that into the weekend. They're going to have to get some wins. Be interested to see team-wise who's available, what sort of state anyone's in, because as I say, smodics definitely had a groin niggle. Um, Gallagher went off with a, as a precaution after a kick on his calf. Tronstad's got an ankle injury. They're hopeful he will be okay for the weekend, which is good. Ryan Hedges, don't know, because we haven't been given a definitive timescale on him. And that's a growing problem. Gut feeling is it probably will be too soon for him as well. Might have John Fleck back next week. JRC will probably be the week after or after the international break. Um, so, should have potentially everyone back after the international break, <laughs> apart from Hayden Carter, which is a positive um so they're gonna need to use the squad but at least we saw on tuesday night the squad can come in and make an impact um mm-hmm. i think Ayari's definitely shown that his best position is probably not one of those front three players as well he wants to be in the two probably behind um next to tronstad or buckley or whoever so yeah you're gonna have to that back three gonna have to go again i think um obviously a and was cup tied he'll come back into it but McFad's been feels indispensable at the minute. The, a 37-year-old centre-back on a short-term free transfer and he does feel like indispensable at the minute. The same for Wharton and, and Hyam And they do feel like they're building a bit of a relationship at the back.
1: Yeah. And he's another one, you know, I'm happy to to admit when I'm wrong about things and, and McFadsey. And I thought on paper, it was a smart signing just to bring him in and around the squad and, you know, be there for the likes of O'Reardon and, and, and Carter if he comes back this season. And, and obviously Haim knows him really well, but I wasn't expecting him to A, feature as much as he has and B, play as well as he had. Um, I think he's been absolutely exceptional. And to just have that experience at the back, that little bit of know-how and Things like what he did last night, where I don't know if you noticed it in the first half, but Newcastle played a bit of a different corner. They played it short and then Trippier chips it towards the back post area, ready for Guimarães to hit it on the half volley or the volley. The only player in the rope, the only player that spotted that in the Rovers' back line was McFadzian. So I think it's that stuff that he brings to the party, that now, that know how, the understanding of what's going on. Yeah, we'll call it experience. You know, I'm. I'm resisting those words, Elliot, because I'm a similar age to Kyle McFadzian. So anything I say about him, you I'm actually saying about myself. No, I'm about as quick as Kyle McFadzian, I must say. You know, I'm also like an 18-ton lorry, but um, no, I couldn't. He He's incredible and he's proved me wrong. And um, what, a, an, what a cute signing that is. You know, we could look back on this and think, well, let's see how far we finish above the relegation zone at the end of the season. Because you could look at things like Cardiff away where we've dug in for a nil-nil with McFadzian in the back line. Could turn out to be really important points. I think it's a cute signing at a point in the season where we were spiralling a little bit out of control. But I'd be surprised if he plays, you know, again. Like, surely, like, where is the end point for McFadzian? Can he keep putting in these 90 minutes and, and these types of performances? So if it's not McFadzian, it wouldn't surprise me to see Cometeo, you know, after that little cameo that we saw from him. Um, he made me really nervous at first, I'm not going to lie. I think, I think he, he was quite did... Bambi on ice in the first 10 minutes. But then I thought he grew
0: into it, in fairness. I thought he did get better.
1: <laughs> he, he was Bambi on ice at first. But then, yeah, grow into it, he absolutely did. And that touch that he took out of the sky, I mean, I stood up and applauded that. I mean, bloody hell, where did that come from after the Bambi on ice? <laughs> um. So if McFadden does need a rest, you know maybe it'll be Wharton, Cometto, and uh, and Hyam. Um, maybe we'll see that. Maybe it will be O'Riordan. But if it is McFadden if he's fit to go, absolutely make it Cal McFadden and happy to admit I've been proved wrong on that one. Just he's been great. I think there's um, very few
0: arguments right now to not give him another year. To be honest, even if I, I totally. Right
1: we don't know what's going to happen with this Venkis court ruling and things like that. So any kind of like misconceptions or or feelings that we might have that we're about to spend some Adam Wharton money or David Raya money or, or anything like that in the summer, we have still got the massive unknown about what is actually going to happen in the summer as a result of this court case. And of course that will become evident, you know, by this time next month when we're chatting about this Elliot. So I absolutely agree with you, you know, For money, who are we getting that's going to deliver what Kyle McFadzian does to this team at the moment? If it means we're keeping Wharton, Carter and Hyam and O'Reardon, you know, as a four that are the future, so to speak. I think having McFadzian on that one year longer term deal where you could actually say he's probably proven more. Is this going to be harsh for me to say this? Please shoot me down if I'm wrong. Has he shown more importance and more worth to Rovers in this short spell than what Daniel Ayala did over his whole spell? More, he's shown more availability. Agreed. Ultimately, like he doesn't need to play
0: every game and they're very reliant on him at the minute. And there is going to be a point where they need to evolve from him. But I don't see any way that he would not be a net positive positive to have him next year as well whilst Eustace is trying I agree. to move. I'm not saying he plays every single game like he is at the moment. And they might want to play a back four and be a bit more expansive as they grow. Carter will be coming back. You don't know what they'll do in some. He won't be costing them a lot. He clearly really likes it there. He's great in the dressing room. He's a great character. I've interviewed him a couple of times. He's a Sheffield lad. He's, he's a really good um down to earth, salt of the earth kind of person. And he looks like he's got years in the tank left because he, he you know, mm. we did a really good interview with him where he sort of said that he nearly fell out of football for three years. In his younger years. So he's got a he's got fewer miles on the clock, perhaps, than you'd expect a 37 year old to have. So I I think there's a real argument to keep him for next season. There's no need to rush into anything now, you know, there's no need to do anything before the end of the season, really. Um but right now. But I would near the keeping.
1: If it if it stops us worrying in the summer about centre back because I would be happy, as I say, with Haim Carter, O'Reardon, Wharton, and McFadzean as a five yeah, going touch, into the season. I, I wouldn't touch that. I'd be quite happy with that. I would a, be happy with a, that. for next season. Yeah, me too. If that then allows you to focus on other areas and not worry about centre back, then absolutely. So I think there's yeah. so many arguments for getting McFadzean, and at the stage of his career where he is, I don't know if he's thinking about coaching. I don't know what he's thinking in terms of after football. I wouldn't be against him getting involved with Eustace in the coaching setup, just because of the positive impact he could have on this young group of players, and particularly for someone like O'Reardon.
0: Yeah, I think he's been absolutely fantastic. Right, prediction time for next week. Um, we'll probably be recording this time next week again because of the midweek game. So Swansea away.
1: Your thoughts? I think I think this is going to be tough to raise it again. I really do. I think. A lot of energy, mental and physical, has gone into last night. And I'm worried about the injuries. You know, we don't know what you're going to be told about Sam Smoddox later in the week. We don't know what we're going to be told about Gallagher. And we're already carrying a couple. I think it's a monumental effort to go to Swansea and win. I really do. So I can see a reversion to a bit of a really nothing game down there. 0-0. Um, 1-0, something like that. I'm going to say a 0-0 draw. I can just really see us just being led by that, just to keep it tight and get out of Wales with a point and then tee up the two home games. So I'm going to say 0-0 for that.
0: I'm going to say 1-0. I agree with you. There is a little bit of um, a come down. I think it's a bloody long way to Swansea. Um, I was looking at train times. Early <laughs> getting those booked and I forgot how far... Like It's deceptively further than Cardiff like Cardiff's far enough, but it's another hour-ish train-wise to, to to Cardiff. I'm going to leave my house on Saturday at 7am and I'll walk back through my door at midnight. It's going to be 7am. Oh, wow. Um, and I'm, I'm going on the train. I don't like driving longer way games because I then have a load of work to do when I get in and I just can't do four hours in the car to then get back and still have like an hour's worth of work, hour and a half's worth of work to do. So although it makes it probably a bit longer... Um, at least everything's done when you're in, and the laptop can be shut. But yeah, that is gonna. That is a hell of a. That is the <laughs> closest away can
1: um, You know, if it is is nil, like no nil at Cardiff and 0-0 at Swansea, you know what have we done to anger the football gods this season? Both those games nil. Well, so we, I hope in, it's in not. In
0: fairness, <laughs> the last nil nil before Cardiff was April last year against Hull. So I don't <laughs> think. I don't think. Really, say we've not had entertainment in the last eighteen months. It's probably the law of averages. So just,
1: it's more the long journey. I was thinking about just you know of of all places to. So I hope it's not 0-0 Rovers fans for those I of you. I think it'll that be one or
0: anyway was my prediction.
1: And they're gonna beat Elliot's nicer. They're
0: gonna meet. Is that well, I'm to draw. Uh,
1: They're gonna beat Millwall. So
0: you don't need to worry about that. That's three points. They... Millwall's a funny one. I think Joe like I think they were hard. It was kind of harsh to sack Joe Edwards in terms of like what were you expecting when you bring in an england under 20s coach grass on the um someone who wants to coach on the training pitch give them no time to do that cuz they're all the midweek games and bring them in mid-season with a squad that's been built over 4 years for Rowett ball um but they are probably going to be harder to beat and probably will get enough points to stay up in my opinion under neil harrison and they had an immediate reaction against Southampton going and winning there, which is just a bit bonkers given the form of both those two teams prior to the weekend. They've got Watford at home this weekend. They're in really bad form. I would not be shocked if Millwall won again at home to Watford, to yeah. be honest. So that does become a harder game, but I'm going to say they'll win 1-0.
1: I'm going to say 2-0 Rovers. Um, I think Eustace will be really targeting uh, this as the one as alongside Plymouth. As I say, I think it's going to be get out with what we can at Swansea and then I think we're teeing up that that Tuesday night under the lights at Ewood Park. Um, so I'm going to say 2-0 Rovers. I really do fancy us to raise it for that one and, and get the job done.
0: And that marks the end of this week's Arte Labore podcast. Thank you for listening as always. Please make sure you are subscribed in your app of choice. Um, obviously, we're, we're currently a bit all over the place with the schedule at the minute, but once the midweek games stop, we'll be back to regular Mondays every single week, but we will be recording probably Wednesday again next week um, to reflect on the two games coming up. Make sure you're following the Lancashire Telegraph at Blackburn Rovers and check out the site for the most comprehensive Rovers coverage this season. You can subscribe to the Lancashire Telegraph as well to access all our Rovers content for the final 12 games. There are fewer ads, which makes a much better reading experience, and you'll be able to access the free app and support local journalism. The best offer right now is £2 for two months, or £44 for an annual subscription, which is currently 20% off. Thank you for listening. Have a great week, and we'll chat to you again next week for another episode of the Arte Labore podcast.